as I was um, as I was riding uh, home on the plane the other day, um, the Lord began to speak to me about some struggles that were going on in uh, in my own camp, in my own ministry, um, some things that people were dealing with, and just begin to download to me what I thought was going to be a a fire sermon, just so powerful, and, and and it is powerful. But he began to download this to me, and as I as I sat down and I began to study this out, and as I began to write, I I realized that it wasn't a sermon he was having me do; it was the beginning of my book. And so today, you all get to hear part of what's going to be in the book that I'm going to be releasing. Um, I'm, I'm believing for January of 2022, which is not important about the book or, or its releasing or anything like that. It's just really cool how the Lord snuck up on me because I've been asking him uh, to help me to help me write this. Um, and he just kind of swooped in and just basically did it. And uh, I like that. So, um, today I'm going to talk to y'all about mercy, and uh, I believe this is going to be more along the lines of a teaching with some with some fire moments instead of just a full blown fire blasting sermon. But I really want you to uh, open your hearts and pay attention. Um, because it's pretty, it's pretty deep. It's pretty uh, heavy in some areas. So, Father, I just thank you so much that you've entrusted this. That you've entrusted this lyric. That you, that you want to strum the heartstrings of every individual listening. That you want to help them from the lies of religion, the lies of the world, the lies of themselves, that you want to help them step out of pretending and into being, that it was never about becoming, but it's always been about being, that it's never been about where we're going, but the journey along the way. <laughs> And that you are perfectly happy, that you are perfectly in love, that you are perfectly perfect with exactly where you have us. And each moment is so precious because we can never go back to it. So Father, I just ask for you to reveal that to every person listening, even to myself as I begin to, to preach and to teach what you've given me, Lord, that this would become a, an anthem that would break across America, that would destroy the lies of religion, the lies of uh, people that think they're bigger than others, that think they're greater than others, that think they're more qualified than others. But we would begin to look at one another and realize that the smallest moments are not so small. So we thank you, Jesus, and we love you. 
Amen. I read a, a thing on Facebook, uh, a missionary in, in Mexico that I'm, that I'm friends with. They were sitting down with a really old Indian woman, a, a Nahuatl woman, Aztecan. And the woman uh, apparently had told them, or maybe it was a quote from somewhere else, but the way that it was set up made it look like that this woman had told her, she said, if you don't listen to the small things that your kids are telling you now, they'll never tell you the big things later. Because to them, nothing has ever been small. And this morning, I just as I was praying, that was the biggest thing that just that just come back to me was that quote was that we discount so many things in our life that God is bringing us through, and we call them small. But when we call things small, God never trusts us with the big things because to Him, nothing was ever small. The first time that you wept before Him was not small, but as you have deeper encounters and what you grade, grade is deeper and what you grade is greater, that one seems to become small, but it wasn't small. The struggles that you face seem to become small when success comes, but the struggle wasn't small, not to him. Because he watched you, he helped you, he was there for you throughout the entirety of every bit of it. Um, I'm going to be in uh, primarily Isaiah 62, 2 through 4. So if you want to go there, you're more than welcome to. If you don't, that's fine also, because I'm going to pretty much read it all. Um, and we'll just kind of see how far um, we get today. This is a lot of material. But I think it's just so important that we take our time and we walk through this. And again, just really, just let yourself go. Um, I'm, I'm just reminded all of a sudden in, in Genesis where it says that Adam knew that he was naked and he hid in the bushes with Eve. And they were hiding and God comes walking as if he didn't know where they were or what was going on and he said, Adam, why are you hiding? And he said, Lord, I am naked and I was ashamed. And God said, who told you you were naked? And this dialogue begins to take place, but as I was reading that sometime back, the Lord gave me this revelation or understanding that maybe maybe Adam was naked physically. I, I'm not here to argue or debate that, but I think more than that, what Adam was saying, and this is what the revelation me, what Adam was saying was, Lord, I now know that you can see and know all things because I now can know and see things as well because my eyes have been opened to the vulnerability that I had before you, and now I want to hide that from you because when Adam and Eve ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they then were able to decide if they were good or evil, and they were able to be embarrassed, they were able to figure out things about themselves that they did not want God to see, 
And they begin to hide those things, lock those things away. And this is the dialogue I believe Adam was having with God. He's saying, God, I now know and can see that there were some things that you had seen about me that I now want to hide from you because I believe that it pushes you away from me. And that's another lie of the enemy. And God was literally just bringing him in close and saying, Adam, there was never anything there that would make me turn from you. Because I loved you just the way that you are, but now you begin to pretend to be something that you're not. You're pretending to be afraid of me. You're pretending like I would leave you. But see, Adam had nothing to judge it on because he had always walked with God, so he had nothing to judge on how God would walk with others because Adam and Eve were the only ones that Adam and Eve had known that had walked with God. This is not even in my notes. But I just want to share that this morning because there's some vulnerabilities in your life that you have hidden away from God that he knew and he knows about that you can't hide from him, but he's looking at you and he's saying, how do you know that you're naked? Who told you that there was something on you that you needed to hide from me when I can see it all and I've already accepted it all? But if you'll just show it to me, I'll deal with it. And I'll help you walk face to face with me again. So Isaiah 62, 2, I'm going to go through this kind of slow and teach kind of as I walk through it. Um, it says, and the nations shall see your righteousness, your vindication, which means your rightness and your justice. It's not something, it's not your rightness, it's not your justice, it's not something you have uh, acquired or obtained or become worthy of, but something that he has just assigned to you. It's something that he has given you without you earning it, without merit. It's your righteousness and vindication because... He gave it, not because it was yours. And all kings shall behold your salvation and glory, and you shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. And uh, in Revelation 2.17, it says, He has an ear, who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. See, we've got to overcome to get the hidden manna. Uh, you're taught in religion that he's just giving it freely, that, that all this stuff is just given freely, but the reality is, is that a lot of this is, it, it's not earned, but it's stepping into the reality of what he paid for. It's stepping into the reality of what he's become so that you can become. And... Uh, so the one who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name is written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Now that word, that word knows doesn't mean no one will know what the word is because it's, it's, it's being spoken in hiddenness and everyone has a different name. What it means is no one will understand what the name truly means because only the ones that have overcome and have eaten some of the manna that's been given will know the true meaning of the word because I can give you a definition of the word but until you have a relationship with that word in your life you don't truly understand that word you've just been taught it knowledge is not experience and experience is not always relationship 
You shall also be so beautiful and prosperous as to be thought of as a crown of glory and honor in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem, exceedingly beautiful in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be turned forsaken. Now you can, in, in that piece of scripture right there, you could take that, that word forsaken and you could put anything in there that the world has called you, that you have called yourself, that God has not called you. Nor shall your land be called desolate anymore. This is, this is so important because people always talk about redeeming the land, reclaiming the land, taking the land. They can't, you cannot take the land until you have given yourself over to Yahweh. You can't change the way that your land is until you've changed who you are in the eyes of Jesus, which means you've stepped into what he says that you are, not what you want to be, not what the world has said that you are, but what he says that you are. And because it says you're going to get a new name that's going to come out of the mouth of the Father. And when that new name comes, when you have stepped in and you've overcome, you've eaten some of the manna, and this new name that no other people know except for those that have received it, when you've stepped into that delight, your land will change too. Because your land is submitted to you, not you to the land. Because he said, subdue the land. So your land was labeled desolate or forsaken because your identity was placed in the wrong thing. So maybe your, your identity is focused in gifting, but the land can't prosper in gifting because gifting is a false reality that you can't have because it's illegal in the kingdom of God. We find in... In Luke 15, there is a story that Jesus tells several parables back to back to back, and, and every single one of them is, is all the same lesson, but he's telling it many different ways because they just can't seem to get it. They, don't just, they just don't seem to understand. And I believe that I'm talking to several people this morning, either here, here live or, or later that are going to listen to this, that you're just not getting it, that you're just not understanding it. That in Luke 15, it, we have the story uh, of what y'all call the prodigal son, um, where he comes to his father and he says, "He says, give me every, he says, give me all my inheritance." He says, "I'm ready to receive my part." And the father gives it to him and immediately runs away into a town and begins this loose type of living, spending his money on everything. But you've got to understand that if his father was this wealthy and he was able to give this type of inheritance, his father was a king. Amen? His father was a king in this land. Not necessarily with a palace, but he was more like Job. There was none like him. He was one of the richest in the area. So that means he had power and authority over the land. And so this young boy, he gets this inheritance that came from his father. His father has given him an impartation, an activation of who that he's supposed to be in the kingdom and the favor of the Lord that has been set upon that family, that generation. And he takes it and he begins to squander it. And you think of it as money and coin, but I think of it as inheritance of eternal life. 
an inheritance of healing, an inheritance uh, of being free from the world. And it's something very interesting in Luke 15 that it says that when he had spent his last dime, a famine hit the land. Because when he became broke, the land became broke. And it says that he attached himself to a farmer. And the farmer sent him out to feed the pigs. And you need to get this. This is, this is really good here. Because it, once he had spent everything that was supposed to be feeding him, he now had and was feeding something that couldn't feed him. He was feeding pigs that he couldn't eat because it was against his religion to be able to eat the pig. How many of us in our life have spent, spent time feeding things that can't feed us? How much time have we spent on television? How much time have we spent on pornography? How much time have we spent on ourselves? How much time have we spent on education for worldly matters that doesn't glorify God? How much time have we spent pretending to pray, pretending to be in love with Jesus? When it's false, then it can't feed us. And we could go on and on and talk about all the things in our life that we fed that we can't eat. And we know that the boy was eating the pods that were feeding the pigs because no one was giving him anything. That actually says no one was giving him nothing, which comes back to the scripture, apart from me you can do nothing. Here it is, it says, but you shall be called Hephzibah. Everybody say Hephzibah. The word Hephzibah, what that means is my delight is in you. So you go through all of this to achieve this, to become Hephzibah, so that his delight is in you. He doesn't just love you, he doesn't just like you, He's not just drawn to you, but he's delighted in you. You come to a position and a place in your life to where you have stepped away from your nakedness. You have stepped away from all the things of the world. Not perfection, but you just decided to overcome in your own perfect stance of where God has you. And you decided to overcome, not to look at the person ahead of you or the person behind you, not to say, I'm not as good as them, but I'm way better than them, but just to say, I am where I am, and I've overcome, and his delight is in me. And your land gets a new name, too. It says, your land shall be called Beulah, which means Married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married, owned, and protected by the Lord. You know, as, as, we, as we walk through here at Awaken Ministries on the facility that the Lord has given us with, it's becoming more and more clear that we are a deliverance-focused 
ministry. Now, I knew that I was in deliverance ministry, but I didn't know that that was my primary focus. Don't know that it is completely the primary, but there's so much about what we do that is focused on deliverance. And everyone that hears this thinks demons and people manifesting and throwing up and, and all this crap that religion has taught you that deliverance is, and that's not what it is at all. Yes, it is about demons. Sometimes. But as I, as I, I was going over these notes last night, and I had uh, one of my staff members come into the office, and uh, she's actually with the kids today uh, doing the daycare thing for the church so other people can enjoy. And because she wasn't going to be there, I got to read her some of my notes because it wouldn't spoil it. And as I was reading her this, the, the Lord spoke to me, and, and I've always taught that the biggest part of deliverance ministry is not casting something out, but retraining the brain afterwards. Because many people will cast out a demon out of someone and say, well, they're free. Well, yeah, they're free from a demon, but now they've got to get free from themselves. And that's why discipleship is so important. That's why Jesus said, go forth and make disciples of all nations. But as, as I was talking with this staff member, I just looked at them and I said, you know, when you came to me, I had to walk you through deliverance too. And she said, I wasn't possessed by a demon. I said, no, you weren't. I said, but you was possessed by religion. And I have spent years retraining your brain to stop thinking religion and to start thinking in love. Because the, the modern church, not all of them are evil. I believe that they've done what they could, but we've stepped far away from the mark, and they have taught some of the craziest things that I believe has made it easier on them to deal with people instead of realizing that dealing with people will never be easy. Jesus said things like, how long will I be with you? How long must I bear with you? So that tells me that it wasn't easy for him too because he was even questioning and wondering like, why aren't you getting this? One of the very last statements that he says to, to his disciples, even know that you know all things, and he goes, you now believe? Like in doubt and disbelief that now they finally have stepped into the re reality that he, he knows all things. After everything that they had seen, they just now stepped into knowing. So I want to hit on something that, that I believe that, that most people are from, and I believe that it is forced some people into stepping into lies and false realities about themselves because the church has so beat them up. A couple weeks ago I preached I preached on Malchus. I preached on Peter cutting off the ear of the servant of the high priest as he came and, and there was no reason for him to step forward towards Jesus because there were soldiers there to retain him. I believe that Malchus was stepping forward towards Jesus because he wanted Jesus. And Peter represents the church and y'all are stepping forward towards Jesus and the church is drawing its sword and cutting your ear off so you can't even hear. 
And the Lord's restoring ears today and prophesying now. Today as you're listening, the Lord is restoring ears for those that the church has wounded. Those that the church has backstabbed. Those that the church has raised up incorrectly to believe something that's a false tense. Your ear is being cut off, has been cut off by the church. But today is the day that the Lord is taking it and putting it back on. In anything that the Lord touches, you hear the kingdom better. So receive that this morning. Today is the day of restoration for you. Today is where the things that were, were hurt for, off you from the church are being broken off. That they no longer have a place in your life. That you get to step into love. That you become Hephzibah today. Because as, as we all step in to the church and we begin to have giftings and anointings fall upon us and we feel this call and all of these things, the first thing they teach you is that you're unqualified, that you're immature, that you can't be sincere because you're immature. But instead you're hypocritical because of your immaturity because you see something and you say that doesn't seem right to me. And they, they make you feel like you're a hypocrite for judging something that you don't understand. And they say, you're just not qualified to even look at this anymore. This is what religion says. But in reality, what you're suffering from is from just being young. And in need of mercy. Just because you're immature, just because you're young, just because you don't understand some things doesn't mean that you're hypocritical. I want to break that hypocritical spirit off of you this morning that was never one to begin with, but it was a lying spirit taught by the church to try to keep you in your place because you might challenge what they're doing. Too many leaders, too many fathers that are calling themselves fathers, too many pastors are condemning young individuals that are rising up in the faith, calling them immature, calling them hypocritical, talking about them behind their backs, not getting excited when they have a revelation because you got it 20 years ago. Be excited for every new thing, everything that seems small because to God nothing is small. You're sincere in the only way that you know how. Because it's all that you know. But when we begin to beat up as the church, as fathers, as pastors, as teachers, as apostles, as prophets, as evangelists, as we begin to beat up those that are young in the faith, what we don't do, we don't force them to become better. We force, we force them to become fake. Because they say, they're not receiving me as I, who I am, even though they're preaching it. So I need to become more like them so they will receive me. So then we step into false identity and trying to be something that, we not, that we're not. And it's not just taught at the church, but it's taught... The religion has become so much of the world today that it begins being taught to you in elementary school. You come to school and your parents have bought you new clothes and some new shoes. And guess what? They're from Walmart. And you come in and the first thing that happens is someone pretends to be nice to you. They come up and they start making fun of your shoes. 
That doesn't make you want to be better. That makes you want to be fake. Because then you begin to look around the room and you look at all those shoes. Nike, Nike, Adidas, Nike, Nike. I need to get some Nikes. So then you go home and you, you tell your parents, I hate these shoes. They're not even comfortable. You begin to lie. And then you go and try on shoes and the only ones that are comfortable are Nikes. Imagine that. So then you get Nikes and you think they're going to accept you. But they don't because now you're false. Because you don't even like Nike. The fact is you probably liked your Walmart shoes and they were great and fun until someone had a problem with it. You're just an infant. You're just young in the faith. You're not in hypocrisy. Hypocrisy had to look it up. It means beliefs, feelings, or virtues, sincerity or that one does not hold or possess. It's a falseness. So by then saying you're immature and calling you hypocritical, when in reality you're just young in the faith, not understanding, and just need some teaching and some loving and some guiding, they start calling you hypocritical and they force you into hypocrisy. So now you start to pretend and have a falseness about you. If I could just be this. Well, that guy sees angels. If I could just see angels. Well, that person preaches with fire. That person's winning souls. If I could just do this. If I could just be like them. If I could just be like her. If I could just pray like that. They would receive me. And then so it begins. You know, it didn't just start recently. This is the way the Pharisees looked at everyone. How dare you talk to me like this? Are you teaching us? Right? Are you teaching us and you were born of sin? Get out. That's what they say. Get out. How dare you teach us? How dare you think that you know more? He didn't think that he knew more. He was just questioning the reality that they had made. Saying, I don't understand. I don't understand how you could say that this Jesus has a demon when no one ever has opened the eyes of the blind. And they said, how dare you teach us? He's like, I'm not teaching you. I've just got questions. I don't Why do we have all these lights? Oh, you're just young. You just don't understand ministry, sir. You're right, I don't. I'm asking why, why do we need these lights? Why do we need that smoke machine? Why is the worship leader wearing skinny jeans? Why does his hair look like that? Why are they wearing one part of their shirt tucked in and the other one out? I don't understand. Why, why do we got to dress up for church? Why did 
five minutes ago you had on blue jeans and a t-shirt and now you look like you walked out of a magazine. I'm not being hypocritical. I'm trying to figure out why you're doing what you're doing. Jesus preached in a robe. It was a nice one. But it was still a robe and sandals. So what we've been teaching is that if someone doesn't operate at this high of a level, then they're unqualified. But Jesus doesn't care how big or how small it is as long as it's real. As long as it's you. As long as it's what he's doing in you. I mean, could you imagine if you went to work and you, you were working for money and you spent 40 hours which actually turns out to 80 because they hold a week back and you're there for 80 hours at your first job and you, man, I'm getting paid so big. And you know what you're valued is those dollars. $10 an hour, around 800 bucks, a little less after taxes. You're figuring that out. You understand. I've, I've probably got... Man, I'm, I probably got $690 coming. And then you go in on Friday, and they come out, and they hand you a bag of Cheerios. They say, thank you for the last couple weeks. And you're going, what? You'd be pretty confused, right? You'd be pretty irate at the fact that you had worked something out only to receive something that wasn't supposed to come out. How do you think Jesus feels when he's been working with you your entire life to be who he wants you to be, and all of a sudden he lets you go to do some things, and instead of looking like what he's, he has designed you to look like, you look like that pastor over there, that evangelist, and he's sitting there holding a bag of Cheerios like, what? That is, that is not what we've been doing. That's not what we agreed upon. That's not what I was trying to bring out of you. I don't, I don't need, I don't need another Apostle Paul. I need a page. I don't need another Elijah. I need a Brittany. The world does not need another Abraham right now. It needs a Holly. And we become so false. We must begin to teach correctly. Instead of the normal teaching is that when someone fails or falls, they now become unqualified. But in actuality, because of the fall, he delights in you. Because in Micah, it says that he delights in showing mercy. 
Now, that doesn't mean that we fall or fail so that he is drawn to us. It just means that we fall, and when we fail, we're okay with it. We don't try to hide it because we realize that failure makes him bring mercy, and when we step into mercy, anything is possible because he delights in showing mercy. If you don't need mercy... How can he delight in you? You just disconnect it from one of the ways that he wants to come and delight in you. Well, I'm just too cool. I just got it figured out. Well, get away from me. I don't like you. So he's drawn to you. He begins to hover over you. He's quickened to come to your every need. Favor will fall upon you. When failure ensues... Favor falls. So stop thinking that that you're not enough because you don't measure up to some expectation that the world of religion has taught you that exists when it doesn't. And realize that you're enough because you still want to measure up to what he's called you to be. You become Hesiba. When you, when you still want to, he now delights in you. Not, I want to be like Brother Andrew, or I want to be like Miss Brittany, or I want to be like this prophet or this evangelist, but I want to be like me. See, some of you never get to that point because you're so afraid that who you are is not enough because your family and your friends and the world and religion has already taught you before they ever see the full manifestation of what God's called you to be that you're not enough. But the fact of the matter is, is all the people that, that especially in Christianity, the people are idolizing, you would not idolize them if, if you had a Reinhard monkey that came out and said, I'm the next Billy Graham. Bonky could not be Billy Graham because he had to be bonky. You understand? So what measure of his delight have you cut yourself off of? Because you've spent most of your life pretending to be somewhere that you're not. And somewhere that you've not arrived at yet. It is better to be failing or falling at his feet than crying out for mercy. All and pretending outside of his delight. Psalms 136, 1 and 2 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy and love and kindness endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord God, for his mercy and love and kindness endures forever. His mercy endures forever. You know, if you've been around me long enough, you'll start to realize that one of the biggest things that I call upon is mercy. When I begin to pray, when I'm worshiping, I say, come on, mercy. I start talking about mercy. I cry out for mercy. And I've had so many people ask me why did I do that. Because I need it. Because I need his mercy. 
And what that really translates to is I need him to delight in me. I need to be his hesper. I need it. I want it. I desire it. I crave it. I need his mercy. And they ask because they don't understand it. If you, pretend, if you pretend to be someone that you're not, you will miss the delight that he has in you now and you will forfeit where he wants you to be. Because if you discount where he has you, what he's having you do, you can never get to where he wants you to be. And by pretending to be something that you're not, you create a new pathway that leads you away from what he's called you to be. In 10 years, 5 years, 15 years, you're going to look and say, I wonder where I miss God. And you're going to think it's in a conference or in a moment where you stood in front of someone or some great encounter that took place and you think right there was what it was. No, it was in the failure. It was in your inability to stay where he wanted you to be and delight in what he's called you to do so that he could take you where he wants you to be, which is greater than where you want to be. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. I've, I've had so many people say, I, I'm, just, I'm never going to get there. I'm never going to be enough. I don't, I don't understand why I'm here. I don't understand what I'm doing. Uh, I, there's just no value. It's because you've not come to the reality that he has you where you're supposed to be now. If you would submit to the position he has you in now and delight in it, he then would delight in you with his mercy. And as I close, I'm going to close with this. Just this last statement. If you can't come to terms with where he has you, be it raising kids, be it doing dishes, be it taking out trash, be it cleaning a barn, be it scrubbing toilets, be it running a huge ministry with thousands upon thousands of followers. If you can't come to terms with that and delight in it, it will push you outside of intimacy. Because it will make you believe he doesn't want you until you where you believed maturity resides. You create this false reality that he doesn't want me until I arrive at where I believe that I'm supposed to be and until then I'm not worthy so he won't touch me he won't come when I pray he won't, pr he won't heal that person through me he won't allow me to prophesy over this person he won't allow me to lead this person to Jesus because I'm not like that person over there I'm not like this person over here they can do it better than me they are better than me I've seen the way they do it and I just can't do that my brain doesn't think that way when you begin to think like that, you're pushing yourself outside of intimacy and you're never going to get where he wants you to be because you have decided this is where he'll touch me. When reality, he wants to touch you over here.
You think that where finally there's no temptation, no shortcomings, no failures, that's where he'll touch me. But you cannot, in the kingdom of God, legally grow in the spirit outside of intimacy. And that can only be found at his feet. And when we get his feet, his face will find us. See, Mary at Bethany found this out. She comes in and Martha's doing her thing and Judas is at the table and all the other disciples are doing their thing and she says, I need his face. How can I get his attention? Not how can I be like Martha, not how can I be like Judas, not how can I be like John, Peter, or Paul, or James, or Thomas. How, how can I get Jesus? I need him to look at me. I need you to look at me, Jesus. Because she figured out something that Jesus said, from here on for all of eternity, where the gospel is preached, her name shall be mentioned. He was saying, she figured out the secret. He told me to seek your face. And my heart cried out. Your face I seek. And she remembered that little, that little piece of scripture in that very moment. She said, if he delights in mercy, and mercy is best found at the feet, then I bet if I get to his feet, I'll get his delight. And she gets down on her knees and she begins to wash his feet with her hair and Jesus does something. He turns and he looks down at her. And I can only imagine that several visions of this, several imaginatory things, stories that I go on where I think about this very moment where Jesus is busy and Martha's behind her and she's complaining about being where she's supposed to be. Jesus, can't you get Mary to come help me do what I'm doing? Whatever, I don't believe Mary chose the best thing because she was at his feet. She chose the best thing because she had found delight in where she was supposed to be. And I can only imagine Jesus sitting at the table and he feels something on his feet. And Mary's got her hair all messed up and she's just watching his feet with her hair. And he looks down at her and she looks up through tangled hair over her eyes. And she sees the eyes that behold life itself looking down upon her, delighting in her, happy with her, in love with her. And then someone else in the, in the shadows says, why did she do that? Couldn't that perfume been have sewed? and fed the poor. And Jesus looks up and basically I believe he looked at him and he said, shut up. Leave her alone. She's delighting in me. And I'm delighting in her. How dare you interrupt that? Because this is where she's supposed to be. You think you're great because you're sitting at the table with me. You think you're great because you're washing the dishes that I just ate off of. You 
think you're great because you have my ear and are talking to me. But she didn't ask for my ear. She didn't ask to serve me. She didn't ask for me to be anything to her. She wanted to become everything she could to me. And in that moment, she got what you all seek, which is my face. You know, I found that the fastest way, y'all ask me this all the time, the people here that I disciple, is, is how do you pray that way? How do you get into intimacy? What is the fastest way to get into intimacy? And I was just asked it again last night, and I said, I'm not telling you because I'm preaching it tomorrow. What I have found is that the fastest way to intimacy is by being in need of his mercy. Because when he is drawn to show mercy, he then delights in you. So then you become Hephzibah. By stepping into the reality of the truth that by way of intimacy can only be found through his merciful delight in you. You want the secret? Be you. Be who God has called you to be. Get rid of all false realities. Get rid of all the pretending, all the lies. Just be plain oh, you. And he'll never find you plain. It's when you become something that he knows you're not that he looks at you and goes, she is boring. He is boring. And I can't even come near you because sin is upon you because you're living a lie. And if I come upon you with the lie that you're living the way you want me to, I'll destroy you. That's harsh. It's the truth. Because in him there is no darkness and all darkness runs from him. Because he is our light of delight. And he delights in us when he shows us mercy. Because if you're you, exactly who you're supposed to be, you're going to fail. You're going to fall. Religion has says that you're a failure. I've never called you a failure. And I'll never call anyone a failure. The reality is, is that you stepped into failure. But never became it. And when you step into failure, he shows mercy. So by stepping into failure, by being you, you step into his delight. And every time that you try and you fail, his mercy comes. And it's another way that he gets to come and touch you and you go deeper with him. Just by being you. I can't. I can't do that. You tell me that, I look at you and say, you're right. Because you believe it, you've now created this reality where he can't come near because it is a lie that you can't. But now that you believe it, it becomes true. And he can't come near you because you're not where he wants you to be. And he's standing on this line saying, come back over here. And you're saying, yeah, but I feel more comfortable over here in the can't and I won't and I'm not enough. And he's over here saying, but you are enough. You can. You will. You're supposed to.
But then you take a step and you fall. And you think, see, I told you. And he goes, no. That was part of the plan. I needed you to fall. I needed you to fail. Because watch what comes next. And you hear this wind. And here comes mercy. And then he picks you up and he's holding your hands and he's looking in your eyes and he says, I'm so proud of you. I'm so glad that you tried. Let's try again. So Jesus, I just thank you that you are who you say that you are and you've never become anything else. You've never tried to pretend to be anything else and you told us to walk as you walked and to do greater things. You said the works that you do, we so we will do also. So Lord, may we not all only just be okay with where we are and living in failure and falling because you delight in giving mercy and your ability to show us mercy, but we can now look upon others when they fall and fail and we can show them mercy and we can delight in them and their failure and their fallings. And we can say it's okay, let's just try again. I love you, Jesus. Over everyone listening, I speak mercy. Mercy come and touch their bodies, touch their spirits, touch their homes, touch their lands. Because we know that where mercy is, your delight is. May it fall like rain upon us. May it fall like rain upon our land and may it bear fruit because mercy resides there. May we plant trees of mercy that will grow up and bear fruit of mercy that will fall to the ground and plant more trees of mercy so that we can swim in your merciful delight and be overcome with who that you are and never be focused on what everybody else is doing. Never looking around, wondering how they're feeling or what they're thinking. But instead, so focused and fixated upon your eyes that someone would come and say something. And we would go, I didn't even know you were here. Because I was lost in him. Because I need mercy. Jesus, we bless your name. And may we fall in love with your person. In Jesus' name. Amen.